Hi, everyone, and welcome to 1001 Tales of Escape and Suspense. The two Golden Age radio shows, Escape and Suspense, were radio's leading anthology series of high adventure and drama, with Escape airing on CBS Radio from July 7, 1947 to September 25, 1954, and Suspense continued to 1962. These two shows presented great American-made radio drama, which became the foundation for TV. Radio, as you know, is purely acoustic, with no visual component, and it relied on great scriptwriters and actors to enable the listeners to imagine the characters and the story. It was high drama, great acting, and terrific stories. As one of the shows say, all designed for you from the four walls of today. Here we offer the very best of escape and suspense. We hope you enjoy this week's presentation. And if you do, send us a kind review for 1001 Tales of Escape and Suspense. And now, our two stories. You are about to hear a story based on actual events. To protect the innocent, names and places have been changed. Autolite and its 96,000 dealers bring you Mr. Ray Milland in a story taken from life. Tonight's presentation of Suspense. Tonight, Autolite presents The Log of the Marne, a true story concerning a British gunboat trapped by communist fire 140 miles from help, starring Mr. Ray Milland. Hi, Harlow. What's that? Why, Hap, that's my Autolite Stay Full battery, the battery that needs water only three times a year in normal car use. Mm, looks like a sure starter, Harlow. Ah, dependable as a die, Hap. And what's more, it's famous among car owners everywhere because the Autolite Stay Full needs water only three times a year in normal car use. And it gives longer life, too, as proved by tests conducted according to accepted life cycle standards. Sounds like a winning combination to me, Harlow. Right you are, Hap, and you can get one at your nearest Autolite battery dealer. He services all makes of batteries. To quickly find his name, just call Western Union by number... And ask for Operator 25. That's me, and I'll gladly tell you the location of your nearest Autolite battery dealer where you can have your battery checked this week. And remember, from bumper to taillight, you're always right with Autolite. And now, with The Log of the Marne and the performance of Mr. Ray Milland, Autolite hopes once again to keep you in... Suspense! Log entry, HMS Marne, entered this day by Lieutenant Commander James G. Harland, officer in command. According to statements by surviving officers and men, the situation of the vessel during the morning, 20th of June, 1949, was as follows. Marne was proceeding west in the Mingqiang River on a routine supply mission from Fuchao to Yenping. According to edicts issued by the Chinese People's Liberation Army, Marne had more than 14 hours of grace in which to reach her destination. But at 20 minutes past nine, the communist land battery opened fire. The second shell struck the wheelhouse. Three of the five men there were killed. All communication to and from the wheelhouse was destroyed and the Marne immediately went off course. Meanwhile, two consecutive direct hits were suffered by the bridge. All personnel there, including the captain, were either killed or wounded. Second in command, Lieutenant Bennett Moore, in spite of shell fragments in his right lung and side, alone on the bridge, had control of his faculties until the arrival of Lieutenant Hugh Fraser. Cambridge, sir. Fraser reporting, sir. Good, Good Lord, Moore. <laughs> I'm all right. I've assumed command, Fraser. I'm glad you came up. Is the captain dead? <laughs> Not yet. How about the others? Some of them, yes. We're off course, Fraser. I can't contact the wheelhouse. Signal engine room, will you? Full speed astern, both. Right. Full speed astern, both. Get a bearing on the battery. We'll return fire. No response on the engine room, boy. <laughs> try again, try again, quickly. We'll run aground. No use, boy. They don't answer. Something's been damaged. Why is the 
happening? Why did they fire on us? I'll try the transmitting station. Bridge, TS. Bridge, TS. Bridge, transmitting station. Nothing. No communication at all. Everything's gone. We haven't fired one round back. I'll try to get down to the engine room. Perhaps I can. It's no use, Fraser. No use. We're going aground. Fifteen minutes after the attack was opened, Marne was aground. Neither A guns nor B guns were able to bear on target since her stern was toward the battery. Consequently, X gun was ordered into local control. There was no care for the wounded. The sick bay had been hit. The medical officer and his assistant killed. X-gun got off three rounds, then it was hit, the entire gun crew being killed. Small arms were issued since they were the only remaining weapons. Winster, you seen the first lieutenant? Yes, sir, I think he's just forward. Thank you. Moore? Oh, yes, Fraser. Over here. Right. How are you feeling? <laughs> I'm all right. Oh, it's 50 caliber. I wish they would send boarders, then they'd stop firing. I don't expect them now. <coughs> they would have sent them. They seem to have decided to reduce us to wreckage. Do you think we can abandon ship of the wounded? Get to the national side of the river. No, there aren't enough lifeboats left. They've seen to that, the rotten... I said they've stopped. Why shouldn't they? Look what they've done to us. <laughs> June 21st, the following day, I received orders in Hong Kong to proceed by air to Marn and to take along medical supplies and a medical officer, Lieutenant Robert Lamb. Our Sunderland was fired upon as we landed. Although we sustained enough damage to make it impossible to transfer all of the supplies, we considered ourselves fortunate to have half aboard when the flying boat was forced to leave. It was put to immediate use by the MO when I was taken to the officer in command. In here, sir. Oh, yes. We've had to use the radar room as a command center, sir. Almost everything else has been knocked out. I see. I shall want a complete report on the condition of the ship after I speak to Moore. Yes, sir. Uh, do you think he's fit to carry on, Fraser? Oh, no, sir, no. I'm uh, surprised that he's still alive. He's, he's not able to stand now. Oh, poor devil. Uh, here we are, sir. Uh, who is it? It's Fraser, Bennett. Oh. oh I, I heard a plane, didn't I? I'm sure I did. Yes. Uh, Sunderland brought a doctor and medicine, Bennett. Uh, this is Lieutenant Commander Harland, Lieutenant Moore. Oh, I... oh don't try Moore. Oh, thank you, sir. The uh, C&C asked me to convey his admiration for what you've done, Moore. Oh, thank you, sir. Do I understand that I'm being relieved of my command? Good Lord, you've done all you can. You're in no condition to go on. I'm all right, sir. I feel much better than I did yesterday. I, I'm sorry, Moore. My orders are to assume command. I can't do anything else. Yes, sir. Now, uh, Fraser, I should like to meet with the other executive officers. There's only one now, sir. Oh? Pills died this morning. There's only Alden and myself now, sir. I see. Then I shall want to meet him if you could suggest a place. This is Lieutenant Alden, sir. How do you do, sir? Oh, how do you do? Uh, sit down, won't you? Thank you, sir. You've uh, had quite a go. Yes, sir. And I don't think any of us would mind if we knew the reason behind it. We were told that the communists had promised us 14 hours to reach Yenping. They had. So we were entirely within our right, but they fired on us. There's been no explanation. Dispatches were sent to their headquarters immediately we received your message. Uh, when were you shelled last? This morning. And we were sending some of the wounded ashore to the nationalists. Oh. Oh, I didn't know that. Yes, sir. They sent a junk out last night, and we asked them to come back at dawn with some more boats. They told us they'd see them safely to Puchar, but the men who really need help couldn't go. They were too torn up to live through the journey. How many did you send? Forty-two, sir. How many seriously wounded are there? Thirty-five, sir. And how many dead? Thirty-one, sir. Your original complement was 149. Yes, sir. There are 41 of us left. I see. But we still have power. Oh, yes, sir. They fared quite well below decks. But the communication between the bridge and the engine room was knocked out. Is there anyone aboard who can repair it? I'm not sure, Oh, sir. yes, Fraser. Lillis has left. Oh, I wasn't sure, sir. He can do it. Are you going to try to refloat her, sir? And make a run for it? Refloat her, if possible, yes. I'd uh, like to be ready to make a run for it if we're ordered to. Uh, what about the guns? They're all gone, sir. 
Uh, what about fuel? Depends on how long we stay, sir. We were to refuel in Yenping. I'm afraid navigation will be a bit of a problem, sir. The charts were burned. Uh-huh. Well, we shall have to do with what we have, won't we? Yes, yes sir. sir. Then I'd like every available man put to work at once on the foredeck. I'd like everything that is heavy and can be broken loose moved aft. In the meantime, I want any water ballast and all the fuel oil in the forward tanks pumped out. Over the side, sir? Yes. I think the loss of fuel oil at the moment is not as important as getting Marn afloat again. June 22nd, 3rd, 4th, and 5th were required to repair communications and lighten the bow. Small arms fire raked the decks occasionally and reminded us that the communists were watching our every move. Hoping to put them off guard, I therefore halted all activity until the 2nd of July, and then shortly after midnight, assisted by a moonless night, we raised steam and backed off to anchor without incident. Morale improved immediately. July 15th. An attempt to shift our berth was answered by a 30-minute barrage. It was obvious that the communists would destroy us if we tried to leave. July 18th. Shortly after midday, communist forces were seen crossing the river below us against no nationalist resistance of any kind. Later that same day, they crossed above us as well, and we realized that we were completely cut off. I ordered all ventilation shut off to conserve fuel. July 20th. After a month had passed, we had our first direct contact with the communists. A Major Kung requested me to come ashore to talk with him. I accepted his invitation and met him in a hut a short distance from the river. I wish to make it clear that your ship will not be molested if she does not move. And that there is no more trouble from your ship. Trouble? You realize that this would not have happened if you had not fired first. I think you're mistaken. You fired first. And I would appreciate safe passage down the river. I cannot grant you a safe passage. It is up to my superiors. But first, you must admit that you fired first. July 26th. To conserve our already meager food stores, officers and men were put on half rations. One refrigerator was put out of service to save more fuel. On July 28th, I again met Major Kung. I talked to my superiors. They tell me you'll give you a safe passage down the river. Oh. Well, I'm, I'm happy to hear that. You are not too unhappy aboard your ship? No, not at all. But you would like to go down the river? Yes, especially since you have absolutely no reason to hold us here. Ah. I can give you a safe passage if the British side will acknowledge that they invaded Chinese waters without the authority of the Chinese People's Liberation Army. This will be a document. The word invaded cannot be used. It is the most serious word to use. There may be some difference between the Chinese wording and the English wording. I am speaking of the... Chinese wording. The word invade means to commit a hostile act, which we did not do. You cannot use the word invade. Do you admit that your ship was guilty of entering the river? Guilty of entering the river? It was not a guilty act, and you cannot use the word invade. It means that we are at war, and we are not. We are a friendly nation and always have been. If you do not wish to cooperate, I suggest that we leave this until a later meeting. I insist that we continue this discussion. Then you are ready to admit the British guilt. I think the subject at hand is your guilt. You are holding a British ship and British subjects under the threat of destruction. You are causing great suffering. Lack of fuel oil has caused me to stop the ventilation system in midsummer. My food is spoiling because I can't run the refrigerators. There's a danger that even drinking water will be unavailable. You are responsible for the condition of that ship and the welfare of the officers and men. Then you do admit British guilt. I do not. Then I suggest that we leave this for a later meeting. I warn you, too. If you move the ship, every effort will be made to destroy it.
Autolite is bringing you Mr. Ray Milland in The Log of the Marne, tonight's production in radio's outstanding theater of thrills, Suspense. Say, Hap, uh, what's the surest thing in the world? Mm, you got me, Harlow. <laughs> Why, starting your car if you've got an Autolite stay full battery. Hap, it's tops in dependable starting power. And it needs water only three times a year, eh, Harlow? Right. Only three times a year in normal car use. That's because the Autolite Stay Full has three times the liquid reserve of ordinary batteries. And the Autolite Stay Full gives longer life, as proved by tests conducted according to accepted life cycle standards. There's not a better battery built. And it's carried by your neighborhood Autolite battery dealer. He services all makes of batteries and has special test equipment. If a new battery is needed, he also has an Autolite Stay Full for your car. So take a tip from me. See your Autolite battery dealer this week. To quickly find his name, just telephone Western Union by number... And ask for Operator 25. That's me, and I'll gladly tell you the location of your nearest Autolite battery dealer. And remember, from bumper to tail light, you're always right with Autolite. And now, Autolite brings back to our Hollywood soundstage Mr. Ray Milland in Elliot Lewis's production of The Log of the Marne, a dramatic report well calculated to keep you in suspense. Entire months of July and August were taken up with trying to maintain life in an all but dead ship and in pointless, decisionless meetings with the communist. I, over and over again, repeated my demands for oil. They repeated their demands that I admit British guilt. By September 9th, conditions aboard were quite serious. Officers and men were without any of the conveniences afforded by a modern ship, and they were almost without food. Morale was at its lowest ebb when I heard a shout from the deck. Junks, coming down the river. Junks. I think they're carrying oil. Captain, sir. Captain Harlan, I think they're giving us our oil. It was Admiralty fuel seized by the communists when they took Yenping. They charged more than 400 pounds for its delivery, but it put life into the Marne. The drums were brought aboard by hand pulley and emptied in almost dry tanks. Everyone, officers and men, buckled down to the job. It took 11 hours, and when it was finished, every man on the ship was exhausted, but happier than they'd been for 100 days. Good morning, sir. You sent for me? Uh, yes, come in, Fraser. Yes, sir. How much fuel oil did we take aboard last night? Uh, 296 drums, sir. Hmm? That's uh, approximately 56 tons. Yes, well, uh, that should do us nicely. Oh, yes, sir, it already has. Ventilation's running again. It reached 136 degrees in the engine room yesterday. Yes, yes, I know it's uncomfortable. Uh, Fraser, I'd like to have you arrange a working party. Yes, sir. I want the anchor cable lashed with bedding. But first, I want the bedding to be soaked thoroughly in soft soap and grease. The anchor cables, sir? yes. Every time the ship swings at her moorings, the cable screeches and scrapes. It's uh, rather getting on my nerves. After more than three months, it's getting on your nerves, sir? That's what I want you to tell the men. Fraser, look, old boy, I'm going to break out tonight. Yes, sir. When you've put your men to work, bring Alden, Lillis, Lamb, and Nisbet. I'll explain the reasons for my decision. At three o'clock in the afternoon of the 30th of July, I conferred with the two executive officers, the medical officer, engine room artificer Lillis, and the senior telegraphist Nisbet. I want to break out tonight at 10. I've asked you here so I could tell you my reasons why we should. And I want you to give me any reasons why we should not. Oh, I think all of us have had enough of this, sir. Yes. The delivery of fuel last night was important for two reasons. One, at least 47 tons of fuel will be needed to drive us to the open sea. They gave us 56 tons, which really leaves little to spare. That's right, sir. Tonight will be the last one for a month with the phase of the moon right for a breakout. The moon is due to set at 11 o'clock. 
Now, I've decided to slip away at ten, accepting one hour of the waning moon as an unavoidable handicap. Now, we'll need every minute of time if we hope to get past the big guns at Liang Kong before dawn. Now, rains farther inland have raised the river, and traveling by night without a river pilot will need all the water there is to get us over the mudflats. Lillis. Yes, sir? If we come under fire, I shall ask for smoke, understand? Yes, sir. I think everything's in tip-top shape below decks. We'll do the best we can, sir. Good. Nisbet. Yes, sir? Wireless silence will be enforced until I'm ready to send a message. Then only flash procedure will be used. Yes, sir. Lamb and Fraser. Yes, sir. I want to make Marne as splinter-proof as possible. Now, see to it that the wireless office, the bridge, and the habitable mess decks are sandbagged. If we haven't enough sand, use mattresses or cushion covers or canvas kit bags, anything. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Now, make your preparations as soon as possible, but do no work on deck until after dark. I don't want you to be seen. Grease all the bright work to cut reflection. Now, you can do that during daylight. After dark, break out canvas and stretch it from the superstructure fore and aft to change our silhouette. Very good, sir. Now then, if we are hit and sinking, I will beach the ship if it's possible to save lives. The ship's company will get ashore. Then, I will blow up Marne. If disaster does come, your main object is to reach Fuchao or escape in junks to the open sea. Any questions? No questions, sir. Uh, just one, sir. I wonder what old Major Kung will say tomorrow when he's dipped to private. Well, don't underestimate our Major Kung, Fraser. It's entirely possible that he arranged the oil delivery so that we would break out, so they'd have a chance to destroy us. Oh, I see, sir. However, pass the word along to the ship's company. And good luck to you all. I hope we make it. At least we'll have a devil of a good shot at it. At seven, I ordered steel helmets to be issued to the men who would be stationed on the upper deck. At nine, I climbed to the bridge to accustom my eyes to the darkness. At three minutes past ten, we prepared to leave. Engine room reports are ready, sir. Good. Order them to obey telegraphs. Yes, sir. Engine room, obey telegraphs. Rudder amidships, Winster. Amidships, sir. Half a head port. Half a head port, sir. Slip anchor cable. Slip cable, sir. Slip cable. Not a sound, sir. Not a splash. Half a stern starboard. Half a stern starboard, sir. Hard a starboard. Hard a starboard. Hard a starboard it is, sir. Steady as she goes. Steady as she goes. Sir. Yes, Fraser. The funnel, sir. Spewing sparks. Oh, blast it. Well, there's nothing we can do about it now. We've started. They'll see that if they aren't blind, sir. Shall I order alarm? Not yet. Port 15. Port 15, sir. Steady now. Steady, sir. Well, we've got round. Half a head both, ten knots. Half a head both, ten knots, sir. I don't think they see us, sir. I don't think they do. It did seem that our departure had gone unnoticed. We passed downstream quietly and without trouble for 15 minutes. But then a flare illuminated the river. Went up from shore, sir. Yes, Shui Kao. Probably control point. Another battery, too. The Mesa, up the port bow. Is that a vessel? Yes. Yes, it's a patrol craft. Keep it 15 port, Winster. Yes, sir. Read the death reports, Alden. We're closing the beach. Yes, sir. Is that the patrol vessel, Fraser? No, sir. Land battery. There, sir. See the flash? Yes. Full ahead boat. Full ahead boat, sir. What's the depth, Alden? Give me the readings. Six fathoms. Six fathoms. Five and a half fathoms. What's the patrol vessel going to do? Set a crash course in that ship and steer into her. Into her, sir? I want to pass Five as close to her as possible. We'll smother her guns. One thing, Five Fraser. Bottoms. Our trip is no longer secret. No, sir. The gap's blown, all right. I wish 140 Five miles bottoms. lay behind us instead of ahead. But it's better than sitting still, sir. Four and a half, Just a bit of starboard wheel now, Winston. Aye, sir.
We passed Shuikar without sustaining damage. Shortly before one in the morning, still at full speed, we passed Kaining under much the same conditions. At three o'clock, Langsha. But from the outset, I had dreaded the final problem of passing under the nine-inch guns at Liang Kong. Searchlights probing the darkness told us before we reached it that they knew we were coming and were waiting. Our only advantage was the breadth of the river at its mouth, and we used it, hugging the north bank and chancing free fathom water. I remember that the cool air of the open sea seemed almost tantalizing and unreal. We reached a point directly across from the fort, and one of their searchlights found us. Give me smoke. Make as much black smoke as you can. Right, sir. Make black smoke as much as you can. Starboard twenty, Winston. Starboard twenty. Starboard twenty, sir. Zigzag. Keep them from getting a fix on us. Five seconds to starboard. Five seconds to port. Count them yourself. Count them aloud if you like. Aye, aye, sir. Port. Give me the depth, Alden. Yes, sir. One, two, three, four, eight and a half fathoms. Five, starboard. Eight and a half One, fathoms. Two, three, four, five, eight fathoms. One, a lot two, of thirty seconds, sir. Three, Give us eight, that, and I think we'll be safe. Five, Make more smoke. Starboard. Make more smoke. Seven One, and a half fathoms. Two, three, four, five, four. Seven fathoms. One, two, three. for Hong Kong, Fraser. Half speed ahead, both. Yes, sir. Half speed ahead, both. I'm going to the wireless room. Yes, sir. Hello, Nisbet. Hello, sir. And congratulations, sir. Thank you. It is good to feel her roll to the sea again. Nisbet, I want to send a signal to Commander-in-Chief... Yes, sir. Uh, have rejoined the fleet. Yes, sir. God save the king. I think that's all, Lisbeth. Suspense, presented by Autolite. Tonight's star, Mr. Ray Milland. Hey, uh, Hap, did you hear about the meeting? Oh, what meeting, Harlow? Why, the meeting of our American truckers this week in Chicago. You know, Hap, trucking is one of our most important industries, and it's the lifeline of the more than 25,000 American communities which depend on trucks alone for the delivery of their necessities. And that's not all. Right you are, Hap. For those careful and competent cargo conveyors can claim an unequaled highway safety record. Oh, sure, with millions of accident-free miles every year. And that great record is largely due to the American Trucking Association's never-ending safety campaign, which Autolite is proud to have assisted for over a decade. Autolite salutes the members of the American Trucking Associations and wishes them continued success as the world's finest drivers. Next week, on Suspense, our star will be Mr. Richard Widmark in a dramatization of the most famous of all Texas feuds, a dramatic report we call The Hunting of Bob Lee. In weeks to come, we shall also present Mr. John Hodiak, Mr. Joseph Cotton, and Mr. John Lund, all on Suspense. Suspense is produced and directed by Elliot Lewis, with music composed by Lucian Morawieck and conducted by Lud Gluskin. The Log of the Mars was based on the book by Lawrence Earle and was adapted for Suspense by Gil Dowd. In tonight's story, Ben Wright was heard as Fraser... And featured in the cast were Joseph Kearns, Charles Davis, Anthony Ellis, Jack Crucian, Raymond Lawrence, and William Johnstone. Ray Milland is currently being seen in the Paramount comedy, Rhubarb. And remember next week on Suspense, Mr. Richard Widmark, 
in another story based on actual events, a dramatic report we call The Hunting of Bob Lee. For the location of your nearest Autolite battery or spark plug dealer, or your nearest authorized Autolite service station, phone Western Union by number and ask for operator 25. Switch to Autolite. Good night. Friends, uh, contributing your well-earned dollars to any cause is never easy. But when you give to Red Feather, you know that your money will help all your community health and welfare services. October is Red Feather Month, so give the United Way to your local Red Feather. This is the CBS Radio Network. You are about to hear a story based on actual events. To protect the innocent, names and places have been changed. Autolite and its 96,000 dealers bring you Mr. Richard Widmark in a story taken from life. Tonight's presentation of... Suspense! Tonight, Autolite presents The Hunting of Bob Lee. The true story about the most famous of all Texas feuds, starring Mr. Richard Widmark. Here it comes, folks. Here it comes. You're so right, Johnny Plugcheck. Cold weather is on its way. And now's the time to take your car to your neighborhood Autolite spark plug dealer for a change of oil, grease, some antifreeze. And check those spark plugs, too. Right, Johnny, because the spark plugs are the very heart of your car's ignition system. And when they're right, your chances of starting even in coldest weather are better than ever. If your spark plugs are worn out, then your Autolite spark plug dealer will install ignition-engineered, resistor-type or standard-type Autolite spark plugs for smoother performance, quick starts, and gas savings. So prepare for cold weather driving now. And check those spark plugs, too. Yes, friends, see your neighborhood Autolite spark plug dealer this week. Just call Western Union by number and ask for Operator 25. She'll quickly tell you the name and location of your nearest Autolite spark plug dealer. And remember, from bumper to tail light, you're always right with Autolite. And now, with The Hunting of Bob Lee and the performance of Mr. Richard Widmark, Autolite hopes once again to keep you in suspense. County, June 26, 1868. Editors, Texas News, Bonham, Texas. Gentlemen, if you will permit me the use of your valuable columns, I would like to give you a true statement on what is known as the Pilot Grove difficulty. Notwithstanding that there's been no killing in the village except Dr. Pierce. But to begin, I was raised in this state. I came home from the war a hated man merely because my fortunes had not suffered during the wars as those of my neighbors. And that was the basis for the hatred. I was too prosperous. They used my habit of dressing as an excuse for the first real trouble, for when I rode into the village into Pilot Grove, I wore a black suit and a hat with a plume in it. It was that hat that started the trouble. They were waiting in front of Nelson's saloon. Hold up, Lee! We want to talk with you. Hold there. Ho, ho, stand. Ho. Ho there. What do you have to say to me? We want to know who you are to be dressing like that. Are you lording it over us with your fancy suit and a plume in your hat? Why should I lord it over anybody? I dress the way that pleases me. No man would ever wear a hat like that. It's for a woman. I'm wearing it, Evans. We can see that. That makes you worse than a woman. Only one reason you wear it. You think you're better than us. Takes more than a plume to make you better. And I'll see that hat pulled down around your neck. 
You want to try that, Evans? I'll see it there. You talk mighty brave still up on your horse. Then I'll get down. Oh, stand there, stand there. Whoa. Don't Hold take it. it from him, Evans. Now, Evans, if you or any one of the rest of you think you can tell me how to dress, this is the time to begin. Go ahead, Evans. We're behind you. Don't take it from him, Evans. Shove a head down his throat. All right, I will. <laughs> Good boy, Evans. Get him now. You got some dirt on you, Lee. Get him now, Evans. Evans! Pull him out from under that horse. Pull him out. Come on, he got stepped on. Move that horse. Come on. Oh, Pull him out. Pull him out. Come on. Pull that horse. Stand there, stand there. The devil. Look at him, look at him. He's dead, boys. Look at the back of his head. Did you hear that, Lee? I heard. Evans is dead. And you killed him, Lee. He fell under my horse. You knocked him out. It was a fair fight, and I knocked him down. Your sort was that way. You killed him, Lee. And we'll get you for it. He's not the only one who'll die in Pilot Grove. You can remember that, Lee. You'll pay for this. Isn't that right, boys? That's right. Dad, there's no sense in my talking to you. You all know it was a fair fight, but you built up a hate. And you'll think what you want to think. So do what you want to do. I'll be waiting. You won't wait long. You, Madison. You can give me back my hat. I want to say this strongly, gentlemen. I did not kill Hugh Evans. Those men knew I didn't, or they would have killed me then. They were all armed, but nobody drew a gun. So I left them and I rode back home where my wife and my brother waited for me. Why did you fight, Bob? Why did you let them make you fight? I had to, Corey. I hold still. You shouldn't have, Bob. Now they've got you, Evans, dead. Couldn't help that, Henry. Hold still. It's what they've been waiting for, something like this. Sometimes a man can't sit back. Sometimes it's smarter to. A man can't be insulted in the street and sit back. Now, I'm not a man for trouble. I came home to live in peace. They started this. I've done nothing that I wasn't pushed into. The way they're thinking is you kill one of theirs, now they'll kill you if they can. Then that's what they'll try. There's nothing I can do about the way they're thinking. But I'll wait for them. As this group of men had been known before to raid ranches for profit, I thought they might ride to mine if they were planning retaliation, however groundless. So I prepared accordingly. I sent my three ranch hands to take all the horses, saving two, into hiding a few miles away. And then at nightfall, with lamps unlighted, and with my wife afforded such protection as possible, my brother and I sat down with our rifles at open windows and waited. Now these might seem to you, gentlemen, unnecessary precautions. But they would not seem so if you knew this band of cutthroats. However, we were relieved sometime after when we heard two horses approach the house, saw two men dismount in honesty near the front door. The Union soldiers. What do they want? I don't know. But put your rifle aside. Who is it, Bob? Union soldiers. Why have they come here? We'll find out. Light another lamp, Corey. Oh. Evening, men. We're looking for Bob Lee. You found him? I'm Bob Lee. What do you want? Stay here. I've come to take you to Sherman. I have orders to put you under arrest. Put me under arrest? For the murder of Hugh Evans. That was no murder. It was a fair fight and I knocked him down, but he died by accident. You'll have a chance to say all that to my officers at Sherman. He'll come... Peaceably, won't you, Lee? Of course I'll come peaceably. Bob. The Union Army is a just army, and I'll be treated fairly, Corey. That's more than I can expect from Boren and Beer and the others. Of course I'll go peaceably. <laughs> 
In truth, I was anxious to yield myself to arrest because I knew that by fair trial, no army court could find me guilty of murder. So I surrendered in good faith, believing in right. But I was soon to learn that those two men who took me weaponless from my house were not Union troops at all. They were imposters with forged orders, shaming the uniform. And they turned me over to Boren and ten or a dozen others in Choctaw Bottom, where I was summarily tied to a tree before a fire. You can say what you want, Lee, but you'll be thanking us for what we've done here. I'll thank the day that sees the end of you, Boren. And you, Sam Beer and Wilson and Maddox, Lewis Peacock, all of you. You might have seen your last one. You ever think of that? Are you trying to scare me, Maddox? Because you don't. None of you do. You want to get yourself killed, Lee? Never mind, Maddox. Don't listen to him. We brought you here to give you a chance to live. You give me a chance to live? That's what I said. Ask the rest of the boys. Now, what kind of talk is that? To give me a chance to live? You mean you think you hold the right to give anybody a chance to live? You're nothing but filth, all of you. Filth, is he? I say kill him and be done with it. Filth. This isn't the time for talk like that, Lee. Some of the boys would just as soon knock your brains out right now. You don't hear me begging them not to. Give it to him, boys. Get out wait. Wait. We brought him here to give him a chance. Well, then get it over with. Now, listen to me, Lee. You want to live, don't you? You got a wife to live for. You're young. Man comes back from a war, he doesn't want to die. Say what you have to say. Blair there has a paper we're asking you to sign. If you don't sign it, we'll kill you here and now. Get in the firelight, Bill, and read it to him. This is what those thieves demanded of me in their note. That I sign over to them a bill of sale upon my ranch. The buildings, the cattle and horses, and all other property that I promised payable on demand $2,000 in gold, and that I and my family leave the state forever. They threatened to kill me if I did not sign, and also to kill me if I failed to meet the demands. So balancing certain death against probable death in the future, I decided to give them my signature. But I forced myself to suffer their beatings and their insults for three long hours so that they'd get no inkling of a plan that was in my mind. Now, after being released, I thought to set about proving the illegality of the note they held and turn the civil law upon the scoundrels. So in the company of my brother the next morning, I rode into Pilot Grove to inquire about legal counsel. Although we still sought peace, we went armed. I with two pistols and a rifle, my brother with two pistols. It so happened that I first stopped for information at Nelson's saloon. And in front of there, I saw one of the men from the night before, Jim Maddox. I didn't notice out there if he was armed, but he was not when he followed us in a few minutes later. There he comes, Bob. I'm unarmed, Lee. I'm not starting to play, Maddox. But if you feel like backing up some of the things you said last night, I'll loan you a gun. I come in to say I was sorry about that. The rest of the boys got me riled up. I sure didn't expect to see you in town this morning. While I'm here, I came in to prove that note I signed isn't worth anything. Be quiet, Bob. And you can tell Boren and the others that if you've got enough brains to understand. That note wasn't my idea, Lee. I didn't have nothing to do with it. Then we've got nothing to talk about. Goodbye. You talk too much, Bob. I can't be driven by anybody. This isn't a time for pride. You got to let them know. First chance you get, you came out on top last night. That's wrong, Bob. Maddox will get to born before... They wanted me to... Without a chance to draw, Maddox? That's no... Bob. Bob. What'd you do, Bob? What'd you do? Wake up, wake up, darling Cory. Autolite is bringing you Mr. Richard Widmark in 
The Hunting of Bob Lee. Tonight's production in radio's outstanding theater of thrills, Suspense. Folks, winterize right now. Please do. And check those important spark plugs, too. That's potent and pertinent patter, Johnny Plugcheck. Cold weather is coming fast, and it's not a bit too soon to have the oil and grease changed, antifreeze put in... And check those spark plugs, too. Right, Johnny, because when they're right, your chances of starting, even in coldest weather, are better than ever. So visit your Autolite spark plug dealer. His exclusive Autolite plug check indicator will instantly show you if your spark plugs are right for the cold driving days ahead. If cleaning or adjustments are needed, he has the latest equipment to do the job quickly. If replacements are needed, he has resistor-type or standard-type Autolite spark plugs. They're ignition-engineered for smoother performance, quick starts, and gas savings. And used as original factory equipment on many leading makes of our finest cars, trucks, and tractors. So plan now to have your car winterized this week. And remember... Check those spark plugs, too! Be sure... See your neighborhood Autolite spark plug dealer because from bumper to tail light, you're always right with Autolite. And now, Autolite brings back to our Hollywood soundstage Mr. Richard Widmark in Elliot Lewis's production of The Hunting of Bob Lee, a dramatic report well calculated to keep you in suspense. Writing you, gentlemen, is the truth. It was a cold-blooded shooting. The bullet entered one side of my face, tearing my cheek and breaking my jawbone. Came out on the other side of my head, just in front of my ear. Maddox left me for dead. And well, I might be, had it not been for the timely aid and skill of the late Dr. Pierce, who I mentioned at the beginning. I may add here that this excellent person, later who nursed me in his own home was later killed by this gang. He was murdered in the presence of his family for the reason that he saved my life. In time, I was well enough to return to my ranch. But my face will always be twisted by scars. My cattle had been stolen... One of my hands had been killed, and the other two, frightened, had sought work elsewhere. The difficulty had become a true feud. My wife had been removed to safety in Hunt County, and I was forced to take up arms myself. I'll stand with you, whatever you say, Bob. We can't be hounded anymore. I don't see how it can get any worse. Except for one thing, Henry. Once we start out, we can't come back here. There's nothing to stay for anyway. All right, then. We'll pack some food and blankets right out late this afternoon. It's sure the ranch is being watched, so we'll ride north as though we're leaving. Then tonight, when we're clear, we'll cross over the blackjack, come back the other way. Where to, Bob? I made a list, Henry. And I put Jim Maddox at the top. Under him, the Sam Beer and William Dixon... And Israel Boren and Lewis Peacock. It was at this time that my brother and I were first called outlaws. That is not now nor never was true. All we wanted was peace, and there was no law and order. We never killed an unarmed man, or never without giving a man a chance. Why, that first night when we got to the Maddox shack, he was alone there with his guns hung up. We could have killed him through the window. This is far enough. I want to go in alone. I can see how you would. Uh, yeah, but he might remember my voice. If you knock on his door, and if he asks, you tell him you're John Baldock, that born sent you. All right, Bob. Step to the side when he opens. Who's there? John Baldock. Boring sent me. 
right. Hey, what? I've come to clear it up with you and me, Maddox. Uh, I'm not armed. You said that before. You'll put your gun on. What if I won't? Then I'll kill you where you stand. Put it on, you'll have a chance to draw. You don't have to watch me. Turn around. Buckle your gun on. Turn around so you can see where it is. Bob? It's all right. You tried to draw from where it was hanging. I think this is a night we'll remember, Henry. Sam Beer's next on the list. Then we moved into Jernigan Thicket, the safety, because Boren and Peacock and the others had enlisted aid from Kansas. Some 30 strong, we were told, hired killers. So we were forced to move by night. Henry? I'm all right. I look for him on the right side, you on the left. We'll go in then. Bob, there. Move farther down while we can. They see us now. Sam Beer, William Dixon. The Lee brothers have come to clear it up with you and us. What do you want, Lee? We want you to stand up from your table and start a play so we won't have to kill you sitting there. They're going to dump the table. What are you going to do? Back to the door. You've heard what the Lees have had from these men. If they have any friends here, this is the time to speak up. One day about 12 after that, when my brother and I returned from hunting to the shack in Jernigan Thicket, we were surprised to see Israel Boren waiting for us, unarmed and with his hands in the air. What does he want? Hold back, boys. You can see I came in peace. Then leave in peace, Boren. Whoa there, hold, hold, stand, stand. Leave Boren and come back wearing your gun. No. Wait, I came in peace. Whoa there. You've got no right to come in peace. Bob, can't we hear what... Henry! <laughs> My brother was killed there in the thicket by rifles hidden in the brush. Boren and his hired gunman took advantage of the fact that we always gave our enemies a chance and lured us in with an unarmed man. I killed Israel Boren after that, and I looked for Peacock, but I couldn't find him. And then I learned he put a thousand dollars on my head. And more gunmen came to hunt me from Kansas. I moved to Gibson Thicket, then to Thatcher. And there were so many men I could hardly move at all. And then finally, after three months, although I'd vowed that I'd die before I ran, I left the county and rode to see my wife. Oh, Bob, what have they done? What have they done so that we can't be man and wife and live the way we want to live? It's finished now. I've seen my brother killed and I've avenged him. I've done what I can. I can't do any more. There are things to do. There are places we can go. We started in Fan County. We can start someplace else. Yes. Yes, yes, we can. But I've uh, I've one more thing I have to do, Carrie. I write a letter about this trouble we've had to the newspaper in Bonham. When the people read it, they'll know the truth. That I'm not a criminal that I wanted peace. 
and I couldn't have it. And so I say in conclusion that I have done what I can to procure peace. I have been driven farther than most men, I think. And any violence I have done has been justified. And finally, I am still willing to surrender myself to any impartial civil authority at any time. Since I know I am right. I'm sorry to take so much of your valuable time in your newspaper space. But a great many people have no idea of the true origin of all this trouble. I remain yours, Robert Lee. There's no danger here, Bob. Are you sure? If Peacock had followed, I'd have known. I'm sure, Corey. I'll post the letter. Be back in 30 minutes. Then we can talk about where we'll go. <laughs> well, after four months, Corey, I, I think there should be much to talk about. Oh, Bob. You wait in the house. Please hurry. I will. You go inside. Come on, boy. Come on. A true story of the Old West, presented by Autolite. Tonight's star, Mr. Richard Widmark. That was a powerful story, Richard Widmark, a Western drama we'll remember for a long time. Thanks, Hilo. I really enjoyed playing Bob Lee. And may I thank the other members of the cast for their wonderful support. They were a great team. Hmm. Reminds me of the Autolite team, Dick, working together for better performance. Yes, I see what you mean. Yes, Autolite makes over 400 products for cars, trucks, tractors, planes, and boats. And they're engineered to work together perfectly. Autolite makes a complete line of ignition-engineered spark plugs, both standard and resistor types. Autolite batteries, including the famous Autolite Stay Full. In fact, Autolite makes complete electrical systems. No wonder, from bumper to tail light. You're always right with Autolite. Next week on Suspense, our star will be Mr. Joseph Cotton, as a man who, in a most unusual fashion, tried to clear himself of the suspicion of murder. A dramatic report we call The Trials of Thomas Shaw. In weeks to come, we shall also present Mr. John Hodiak, Mr. John Lund, and Mr. Frank Lovejoy, all on Suspense. Suspense is produced and directed by Elliot Lewis, with music composed by Lucian Morwick and conducted by Lud Gluskin. Miss Terry Lee was the ballad singer. The Hunting of Bob Lee was based on the book by C.L. Sonicson and was adapted for Suspense by Gil Dowd. Featured in tonight's cast were Kathy Lewis, Lou Krugman, Junius Matthews, William Conrad, Harry Bartell, Byron Kane, and Joseph Kearns. Tonight's appearance of Mr. Widmark was made possible through the kind permission of 20th Century Fox Studios, whose current release is The Desert Fox, starring James Mason. 
And remember, next week on Suspense, Mr. Joseph Cotton, in another story based on actual events, a dramatic report we call The Trials of Thomas Shaw. For the location of your nearest Autolite spark plug or battery dealer, or your nearest authorized Autolite service station, phone Western Union by number and ask for Operator 25. Switch to Autolite. Good night. This is the CBS Radio Network. Thank you for joining us at 1001 Tales of Escape and Suspense. This is your host, John Hagedorn. We try to alternate weeks with two episodes of Escape one week, followed by two episodes of Suspense the following week. New episodes of 1001 Tales of Escape and Suspense are available every Sunday at noon Eastern Time. We always appreciate reviews. Thanks for listening, and we'll be back next week.